Hello, welcome to Going Deeper with God. My name is Andrew Page. I'm part of the teaching team at Above Bar Church in Southampton. Um, Going Deeper with God, we're looking at um, the letter to the Philippians at the moment. We're halfway through. We're just at the beginning now of chapter three. So it'd be great if you could turn to Philippians uh, chapter three. Um, We're doing this because we want to get to know God better. We believe the Holy Spirit has given us the Bible so that we can know God and know him better. And that's what we're committed to doing. Um, I don't know about you, but I find again and again that when I take time to study the Bible, uh, I I experience the spirit using the Bible to encourage me, uh, to, to strengthen me. And it just makes a huge difference to my life as a Christian. Uh, We're going to sing, first of all, we're going to sing about the gospel because uh, the title we've given this passage, which is Philippians 3 verses 1 to 14, is Paul explains his gospel. I could have just as well uh, called it Paul explains God's gospel. It's God's good news and therefore it's Paul's good news too. And so let's sing this. Um, If you don't want to sing out loud, that's fine. But please look at the words and be amazed at the goodness and kindness of God uh, before the throne of God above. Look on him and pardon me To look on 
And now let's read the passage together. Philippians 3, beginning at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 3 verses 1 to 14. And we've called this Paul explains his gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your word. You've given us your gospel the gospel of Jesus is such good news and we praise you. Thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you remember, we've called this whole series in the letter to the Philippians, Joy and the Gospel, because joy and the gospel belong together. The more gospel centred we are, the more we will experience joy. This whole passage begins, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then Paul goes on to talk about the gospel. This is, in my opinion, one of the most important passages in the New Testament, because it makes it very clear how we can get to heaven. It makes it very clear how we can be saved. It's about the gospel. If you like to use technical language, it's about the doctrine of salvation. This is really important stuff. Because Paul knew that there were people coming to Philippi and kind of infiltrating the church and bringing a false gospel, bringing a different message. And so he writes this passage to make it very clear that these these false teachers really are false teachers and to make it clear that the gospel is different and is wonderful. 
So let's be open to the Holy Spirit as we look at this. And please, let's be lifting our hearts to Jesus uh, as we as we read this and we study this together, because this is wonderful stuff. And if you are a believer in Jesus, if you turn from your sins, put your trust in Jesus, then this is this is your lifeblood. This is really important stuff. It'll help. It'll help you to rejoice in God. And it'll also help you to be clear about the message you want to share with others. Let's look at the passage. First of all, in verses one to three, there are two groups. Verse one begins with a warning about one of the groups. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. There is danger here. And it's because of the first group, the first group that brings this wrong teaching. Paul describes this group in verse two, and he uses three expressions to describe the group and the message that they bring. First of all, he calls them dogs. Watch out for those dogs. Now, dogs in the New Testament were not domestic pets. They were pretty well wild animals. Paul is saying this teaching that's being brought to you, which he's about to explain, this teaching is dangerous. Second description, those evildoers. I don't think that means that these teachers were bad people. I don't think they were. I think they were good people in many ways. But they were evildoers because they were telling people you need to do something in order to be saved. Oh, yes, believe in Jesus if you like. That's fine. But here's a list of things you need to do in order to get to heaven. They are evildoers. It's all about doing And the third description is they are mutilators of the flesh. That's the end of verse two. They were they were into circumcision. They were basically saying it's fine that you believe in Jesus, but you do need to become Jews, too. So you Gentiles who are trusting in Jesus, that's fine, but we need to circumcise you. Because you need to become Jews, you need to do something. It's not just it wasn't just about circumcision. There are other things they had to do, too, in order to get saved. That's the first group. The second group is Christians. The second group is the church. And Paul uh, introduces the, 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 the church in a rather provocative way. Look at verse three. It is we who are the circumcision. He uses the word circumcision. He doesn't mean it literally. This is Paul's way of saying we Christians, we are the real people of God. We are the people who've really come to know God and who are in relationship with God. We are the circumcision. And then he uses three expressions to describe Christians. See if they fit with you. First of all, we serve God by his spirit, verse three. We're not trusting in our own power to serve God. When we became Christians, when we turned from our sins, put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in us. And he gives us a new power to live differently. Of course, we fail sometimes. Of course we do. But there is a new power in us. We serve God by the spirit. Secondly, we boast in Christ Jesus. That's there in verse three. Christians are people who are enthusiastic about Jesus, enthusiastic about who he is and about who he's done, what he's done. 
He is the Messiah. He's Christ Jesus, the Messiah Jesus. And what he's done is he's died on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. Hallelujah. We boast in Jesus. And the third thing is we put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is making it absolutely clear here. We don't put any confidence in what we do for God. All our confidence is in what God did for us when Jesus died on the cross. Is that you? Are you serving God by his spirit? Are you boasting in Christ Jesus? And do you put no confidence in your flesh, in what you can do for God? Then you're a Christian. That's what the church is. The, the church is people who are like that in verse three. That's the second group. Ah, even just as I talk about that, I'm I'm amazed. I'm delighted. I'm I'm astonished that I'm a Christian, that I'm a believer in Jesus. Let's go on to the second part of the passage. So we've looked at two groups. Now in verses 4 to 11, two pictures. And these are two pictures of Paul, who's writing the letter. The first picture is Paul before he became a Christian, before he met Jesus. And the second picture is Paul after he met Jesus, after he became a Christian. So let's look at the two pictures. The first picture is in verses four, five and six. Verse four, Paul says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If, the, if, if we could get to God by doing things or by being something or by achieving something, I would be, I would be well qualified. Have a look at verse four, the middle of the verse. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I would if, if it was about earning our way to salvation, earning our way to heaven, I would I would get there. And he, he then provides a list in verses five and six. Have a look at the list. Um, he says circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I'm a real Jew. Of the people of Israel, I really belong to Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the elite tribes. A Hebrew of Hebrews. That may mean my parents spoke Hebrew. I speak Hebrew. In regard to the law of Pharisee, I am really concerned to keep God's law. I'm a good person. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Because I was sure Jesus was an imposter, not the Messiah, I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I'm a good person. That is the first picture of Paul. And what he's saying is there's a list here. I've got this list and I've written them down. And here's the list. And this list is my ticket to heaven. This list is my ticket to glory. This is my ticket to salvation. That's the first picture. That is Paul saying, if I try... If we could get to heaven by being, by doing things, by achieving something, by doing good, by being religious, then I would be well equipped and I'd be I'd be fully qualified. That's the first picture. But then. On the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. Acts chapter nine. And that transformed this man. So let's look at the second picture. Let's look in verse seven at the way Paul began to see 
that list of all the good things that he'd done, of all the achievements. Verse 7, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now, do you hear what Paul is saying here? He's saying here that since I discovered Jesus or since Jesus walked into my life, I consider this list of all the good things I've achieved to be loss and rubbish and garbage, garbage and junk. Now, he's not saying that these things are bad in themselves. Most of them aren't bad in themselves. They're good things. It's good to be good. What he's saying is these good things that he's done and the good things any of us do, they are not a contribution to our salvation. Please hear that. It's really important. The good things we've done, they are not a contribution to our salvation. So in other words, as far as thinking these things could get us to heaven is concerned, these things, as far as I'm concerned, says Paul, are rubbish, garbage and junk. But it is good to do good things. Let me just explain that in a sentence. It's good to be good, but being good doesn't get us to God. Uh, do you get that? I think it's a really important sentence. It's good to be good. But being good doesn't get us to God. And so Paul takes this list and he says, this is rubbish. This is garbage. This is junk. Because these things cannot get me to God. And then what Paul does in verses 7 to 11, is he he tells us what a Christian is. He, he talks about himself, but he's talking about what Christians are. And this is a description of you, if you're a truster in Jesus. Three sentences sum it up. Firstly, a Christian knows Jesus. Uh, have a look at verse 8 again. He says in the middle of the verse, he talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, a Christian knows Jesus, doesn't just know about Jesus. He knows Jesus. They know Jesus. We've come into a friendship with Jesus. Of course, the relationship can grow and it should grow, but we've come to know him. There's a friendship there. There's a relationship there. A Christian knows Jesus. Secondly, a Christian gains Jesus. Have a look at verse 8 again, the end of the verse. I consider all these good things that I might have thought were a contribution to my salvation. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, what does that mean, gaining Christ? It's all about righteousness. Let me explain this a bit. We all desperately need righteousness. Because God is completely righteous, he's holy. And because there's going to be a judgment day one day. Now, we're only going to survive on judgment day if we're righteous. But the problem is, if we're honest, we are sinners. We are not righteous. There is sin in us. There is darkness in us. 
Sometimes we deliberately act against our own conscience, don't we? But our greatest need is righteousness if we're to survive on Judgment Day, if we're to face Judgment Day unafraid. So the question is, how do we get righteousness? How do we get righteousness so that we can survive on Judgment Day? Well, there's only two answers that have ever been given to that question. Uh, One answer is given by the first group in verse 2, and the other answer is given by the second group in verse 3, the church. Let's look at the two answers. The first answer is we make our own righteousness. It's the same message again. We try and do good and we do more and more good things and we hope that one day we will get to God. We hope that we will get to God. We will get so good that God will say, oh, you're, you're wonderful. I'll have you in my heaven. You've earned it. Have a look at the beginning of verse nine and you'll see that. Paul says he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's the wrong answer to how we get righteousness. It's a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I earn this righteousness by doing good things, by obeying God's law. And Paul says no to that. Um, I heard a, an advert on the radio recently uh, for a, a programme that Trevor MacDonald uh, was doing and about music. And he, the little quote from Trevor MacDonald there uh, in the advert was said, um, uh, it's, it's such a wonderful piece of music. He was talking about one of his favourite bits of music. And he says, if I live a good life and get to heaven one day, I'm sure I'll hear this piece of music. Now, I'm not saying Trevor MacDonald definitely believes this, but actually he is giving this answer to how we get salvation. We do it by living a good life and it's wrong. We can't ever live a good enough life in order to get to heaven, in order to get into God's good books. We can't earn brownie points by living a good life, although it's good to live a good life. But being it's good to be good, but being good doesn't get us to God. So there's this idea that we can that we can earn our own righteousness, create our own righteousness by being good. The problem with that is if I could click my fingers and from that moment, you and I never sinned again. We always lived righteously. It doesn't work. But if it did, it's too late anyway, because we've already committed sins, haven't we? Today and yesterday and the day before, we don't have a perfect righteousness. There's a verse in the Old Testament that's very telling on this. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That's Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The best things we do, they are filthy rags. It's good to be good. But being good doesn't get us to God because we can never earn a perfect righteousness. So that's the first answer to the question, how we can get righteousness. The second answer is we get given righteousness by God. We get given a gift of righteousness. Come back to me with me to verse nine. I want to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's the wrong answer. That's earning our own righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Oh, 
That is just so wonderful. What it means is this. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for our sins. He was taking our punishment. He took the blame. And if I put my trust in Jesus, twice in verse 9, Paul talks about faith in Christ. Faith, believing in him, trusting in what Jesus did when he died on the cross. If I trust in Jesus, an exchange takes place. My sin is counted as his sin and he takes the blame. His righteousness is counted as my righteousness. Ah, oh, this is so wonderful. Feel free to lift your heart and to worship. When I trust in Jesus, my sin is counted as his sin. And his righteousness is counted as my righteousness. When God looks at me now, he sees me as perfectly righteous. Obviously, he knows that I still sin, but my sin has been forgiven because of Jesus. And God has given me a gift of righteousness, a gift of perfect righteousness so that I can face judgment day unafraid. Oh, this is the gospel. It is good news. It is wonderful. It is liberating. It's such a relief that we're not being told, earn your way. We can never do it. We're being told it's being done for you. Jesus has earned salvation for you by dying on the cross and rising again. Trust him. And your sins are counted as his. He died for them. And his righteousness is counted as yours. And you are seen by God as completely righteous. It's so good to be a Christian. Have you? So a Christian is someone who obeys Jesus. There are the three sentences. A Christian knows Jesus. A Christian gains Jesus. That's about righteousness being given to us. And a Christian obeys Jesus because Jesus is my Lord. And of course, that that relationship needs to grow. Of course it does. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ, Paul says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If you're a Christian, you want to, you know Jesus, you want to know him better. And there'll be those two experiences in your life. Uh, it's there in verse 10, power and, and suffering. There will be power. The power of the spirit lives inside you. Jesus is resurrection power, but also suffering. There will be struggle. There will be tough times. Maybe you're going through tough times now. There are the two pictures of Paul. And can you see that that makes the gospel so clear? It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God did for us when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's the gospel. It's good news. And it should make our hearts sing. Let's very quickly look at the last three verses of the passage. They are verses 12, 13 and 14. Here we've got two attitudes. The right attitude is in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's there in verse 14 as well. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I'm looking forward. I'm going forwards, says Paul. I'm going on. I want to go on. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen. One day 
I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I will be like him and I will never sin again. I will be on the new earth. I will be in glory uh, because I've trusted not in me, but I've trusted in what Jesus did when he died on the cross. I'm looking forward. But there is a wrong attitude, too, and it's tucked away in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That's the resurrection. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. There is a possibility that we can spend all our time looking back. Now, obviously, we can't forget completely what's behind. And Paul isn't saying that we should. Our past is our past. It's there. But there are people who spend much more time looking in the rearview mirror than they do looking forward through the windscreen. They are always looking back to the old days. Or they're thinking back to times when they sinned, when they let God down and let others down. They're looking back. They've got regrets. And they're looking back. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't be don't have that attitude that you're always looking back. Look forward. Look forward to what you're going to experience when you see Jesus face to face. And when you're like him, when you see him in glory. This is about the gospel. I, I hope that you're excited by this. This is all about the fact that we can't get to heaven by doing stuff. We get to heaven by trusting in what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross. Uh, there was somebody called Steve who I knew once. And when he had his first girlfriend, um, he took her out rowing one day and they were rowing. And he thought this was great. And he was showing off how manly he was. And uh, after a time, his girlfriend said that she'd like to have a go at rowing. And he said to her, well, you can have a go if you like, but you won't be very good at it. Most women are very good at rowing. I'm being very careful about the way I tell this story. <laughs> but she wasn't good. And the boat got stuck in the mud by the bank. And Steve wasn't a gentleman. And he said to her, well, it's your fault we got stuck. You get out onto the bank and then I'll bring the boat back. I'll get the oars and I'll come near the bank again. And then you push you push. You, 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 you push the boat out and get into the to the boat. And that's what she did. She got out of the boat. She's on the bank. Steve brings the boat nearer to the bank. She gives the boat a push. And she puts one foot into the boat. But the other foot is on the bank. And Steve said, look, get in with the other foot. Put the other foot in. And she didn't. And she fell into the water. And that was the end of their relationship. And he ended up marrying somebody else. And probably she did, too. <laughs> Her problem was that she had one foot on the bank and one foot in the boat. A Christian is someone who has both feet on Jesus. I'm not a Christian doesn't say, well, I'm going to get to heaven because I trust in Jesus and because I love my family. Or I'm getting to heaven because I trust in Jesus and because I'm a good person. I'm part of a church. A Christian is someone I'm going to heaven because I trust in Jesus. I've got both feet on Jesus. That is the gospel. And that is what this passage with its two groups, 
Two pictures of Paul and two attitudes make so clear, doesn't it? This is the gospel. That we need to have both feet on Jesus, trusting him alone for our salvation. Oh, I hope your heart is singing. Uh, we're going to sing in a minute a song that was written by someone who was thinking of Philippians 3 verses 1 to 14. But first of all, I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage we've looked at. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you that it really is good news. Thank you that you're not telling us to achieve something in order to be saved. You're telling us to trust in what Jesus, your son, achieved when he died on the cross. We praise you for this righteousness that we've been given as trusters of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. We give you praise and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll stay watching as we look at this song, as we listen to this song, as we see the words. Um, in, the, in, in this song, the, the words even are said in the chorus that Jesus is my joy and my righteousness. He's given me righteousness. It's all what he has done. So he's my joy. So let's sing together. Let's worship as we listen or as we sing. All I once held dear. with you to live and never 
our joy here's our righteousness paul says in verse 9 of our passage i want to be found in christ not having my own righteousness which is through the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness that comes from god on the basis of faith wow I'm praying that we will experience that joy, that joy in the gospel in the coming days and weeks. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>